Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. I'm very pleased today to welcome David Blood to the podcast. David is senior partner at Generation Investment Management, which he co-founded in 2004 with Al Gore. David believes passionately in the role of finance in empowering business solutions for the world's most pressing issues. Along with mobilizing and employing capital, Generation also focuses on advocacy work through its research wing, the Generation Foundation, which seeks to strengthen the case for sustainable capitalism aligned with a low-carbon, prosperous, equitable, healthy and safe society. So thank you very much, David, for taking the time today to speak to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Well, thank you for, for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, you, you've been, uh, I, I understand, generation now for 13 years and been involved in finance for many <laughs> uh, longer years than that. Yes, <laughs> yes um, sadly. Yes, yes. So can, can you tell me how you became involved in the world of sustainable investment or sustainability right. and, and, and so forth, and a little bit about generation and, and you know, your aspirations and scope? Sure. Well, I've been in finance, uh, gosh, nearly uh, 35 years, and I, I guess I would say that my my thinking around sustainability has evolved over that period, but it really goes back to some of my earliest years. Uh, when I was 11 years old, my family was transferred to Brazil, and uh, my parents to this day will tell you that it was really the, the, the point in which a sustainability or social justice or development kind of came into my uh, my vision, I saw very terrible poverty. Now, Brazil is an amazing country, and uh, we had an amazing experience there for sure, and it's still one of my uh, very p- favorite places to go. But the, the challenges of income inequality, the challenges of poverty were quite shocking to me as a, as a young boy. And clearly, that experience has stuck with me all these many years. And then on top of that, my own experience in investing, my own experience in, uh, in finance and in running businesses have helped me to recognize the importance of being long-term, the importance of culture, the importance of leadership, and all these factors really are, are part of uh, how we think about sustainability. Right. Genera- generation itself is... Uh, is now, gosh, 13 years old, almost almost 14. Uh, we founded the firm based on the premise that uh, long-term investing is best practice and that sustainability drives the long-term success of business and therefore it should be included in an investment process. Our funds under management today, uh, believe it or not, approach something in the order of $17.5 billion. We manage uh, principally public equities, but we do manage about a billion dollars worth of private equity. And all of our strategies are decidedly long-term, and all of our strategies integrate sustainability into our investment thinking, our investment process, because we think it helps us become uh, or helps us make better investment decisions. Right, right. Now, uh, when, when you got started in, in a generation, uh, sustainability wasn't uh, on the horizon, I don't think, uh, the way it is today, and certainly in terms of sustainable uh, investment. What would you say are a couple of the most important changes that have taken place in the field over this time? 
Well, you're quite right to say that uh, 10, 15 years ago, sustainability, ESG, uh, was was still considered very much of a niche business, though there were a number of very important uh, uh, sustainability leaders active at that time, and, and I, I must give credit to uh, a lot of the heritage of this of this sort of discussion, if you will, or this movement, if I could even use that word. But nevertheless, it was still very much of a niche, and it was there was a lot to be developed. But the most important change over these. 10 to 15 years has been the business case has been established and it's very robust both the practical experiences of businesses and management teams as well as investors and very importantly the academic research around sustainability has also flourished and again it's robust so the business case for sustainability for sustainable investing is really very very strong and that's the primary difference I guess I would say a second important difference, and it's related, is the number of really interesting and successful businesses with mission, businesses that are part of the solution to the sustainability challenges. The, the examples of companies are now quite plentiful and, and really quite, uh, quite exciting, actually. Yes. Now, you, you mentioned that, the, the, and I know and I've spoken to uh, several uh, researchers who, who are at the uh, cutting edge in, in this area of, you know, the business case and doing research and so forth. But how widely understood would you say that is within the business and financial community, you know, the investment community? Well, that's a great question, actually. Uh, so on the good news front, there is something in the order of $70 trillion today. Uh, I think that's the figure that's that's allocated or has signed up to the principles of responsible investing. And if it's not $70 trillion, it's a lot of trillion. And that's, uh, that is a huge number. Now, it's also fair to say that some of those figures are uh, double-counted, and, and some organizations have, uh, to a greater or lesser degree, a commitment to sustainability. But it's clearly a mainstream subject today. So that's that goes in the very good news category. And as I said a few minutes ago, there are clearly excellent businesses and management teams who think about sustainability and talk about sustainability. The different news is that there are still a, a number of investors who need to be convinced and companies that need to be convinced. And there are still places in the world where sustainability is is considered much more of a political conversation as opposed to an economic or business conversation, uh, particularly in the United States, for example. I think many people think of sustainability as a uh, movement from the left and that it's not really serious investing or serious business, and, and we need to combat that. So that's a long answer to a very important question, which is I think we have made a huge amount of progress. I think increasingly sustainability is mainstream, but there is much more to do in terms of making the business case and really engaging with folks who uh, are yet to be convinced. Right, right. Very interesting. Now, you say uh, more mainstream. How, how does that manifest, do you think, David? I mean, you talked about the, 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 these, these trillions um, and so forth. What would you say are, are a few of the most, uh, the strongest, uh, I guess, uh, signs or, or outcomes of this, this style of investing, things that you can point to that are done differently and that matter? Well, for starters, you can't pick up the Financial Times today without seeing reference to sustainability. And some of the most important and uh, largest and accomplished investors are talking about sustainability. That's ranging from 
BlackRock to KKR uh, to TCG. So it clearly caught the attention of of businesses and investors uh, around the world. So that's that that is clearly uh, an important. Uh, illustration and as I said the illustrations of companies themselves and how they talk about their their long-term strategy has um, has been a further sort of uh, proof statement yeah yeah absolutely now I guess uh, another change that that's uh, on the horizon is this uh, idea of maximizing returns for shareholders and you know that's been I guess a traditional law uh, for for many decades um, and has uh, presumably acted to some degree as a break on sustainability um, you know uh, before uh, here to now and I, I know now there is the, again more more a body of research that suggest that you know it, this doesn't actually have any you know, solid foundation in corporate law or corporate economics um, and you know a lot of questions about this and again uh, it's, it doesn't seem really that 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 you know that that message has, has really got through or, or, or what's your sense of the lay of the land there David well uh, there's I have a couple of observations on that uh, the, the first is you're quite right there continues to be confusion and I think sometimes purposeful confusion around whether sustainability can be part of an investment process uh, or, or even considered as an investment process. And so there's, there's a whole series of um, uh, research uh, work done. Actually, Gen the Generation Foundation and the PRI has been, uh, has been working together on this particular topic of fiduciary duty. And the, the legal case is, is very clear. Uh, you can and should integrate sustainability if it matters and actually or if it's relevant and actually that's my most important point for those who say well uh, we shouldn't consider sustainability because our fiduciary duty is to maximize returns they're missing the point sustainability environmental social governance factors drive the long-term success of business and if you don't consider sustainability you are not fulfilling your fiduciary duty it's that simple there's no question i'm trying to do the same thing that uh the, the chicago school is trying to, to to purport which is we want to drive long-term returns to shareholders that's that's the whole premise of what generation is doing we want to deliver outstanding investment results for our clients our view is though the very best way to do that, the differentiated insight that allows us to deliver strong investment results is sustainability, is ESG. Yes, yes. Now, we talked about the business case, and I've spoken to many uh, corporations who, you know, get that message. Now, the investment case as well, um, clearly uh, research here and, 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 and a track record of, of you know, investors uh, like yourself and others. And again, uh, I guess it reminds me of the joke about the, uh, the efficient markets or something there where the $50 lying on the ground, the finance professor says, well, uh, you didn't pick it up because if, if it was $50, somebody else would have picked it up. But uh, just turning that a little bit on, on its head, you know, if this is um, the investment case really does exist, why aren't, you know, investors like, you know, uh, falling over themselves to, 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 to for sustainable investment? Well, um, I guess I, I would say point, point again to the fact that sustainability is now increasingly a mainstream subject for many of the most important investment managers uh, and asset owners in the world. So it, it actually is happening. In, uh, in, in a very large degree. Still, the, the, the question is, is a fair one. Why isn't it just 
completely 100% mainstream. And I, I would say a couple of points. One, there still are many that are, that are yet to be convinced of the business case. And two is a little bit of question of language. So there are quite a, a number of investors who may not think of themselves as sustainable investors, but in many respects are. They're long-term oriented. They're, they're very thorough and holistic in how they, they think about uh, the success of business and how businesses operate. A number, uh, certainly many CEOs uh, would would not realize that their business strategy is is around is is based on the core fundamentals of sustainable capitalism. They might not recognize it. They would recognize it, however, as being just good long term business thinking. And I guess in some ways that's our point. We we are convinced, and you know we talk about uh, sustainable capitalism quite a bit. Our definition of sustainable capitalism is an economic system within which business and capital seek to maximize long-term value creation, accounting for all material, environmental, social government metrics. That's what we think is, is the best practice economic model, and a lot of, of companies fit that and think about that in, in their own ways. Yes. yes. And so I guess I'm trying to say that it's the, the difference today between uh, in terms of how we have this conversation versus 10 or 15 years ago really is is night and day and uh, there's more work to do for sure but the the business case the examples are all quite heartening to to me anyway to say that that largely that conversation this this discussion is is really about implementation now not about theory right right because that's interesting, and I'd like to uh, move on to, in a moment to this question of sustainable uh, capitalism. But um, so, in your experience, then, and the kind of dialogue you have with CEOs and so forth, um, do they have you seen a, a sea change there in, in, in their understanding? Well, I've always thought the companies are ahead of the investors. So we've we from the very beginning of our conversations with CEOs, the very best ones got it. So we've 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 seen more and more CEOs and finance directors understand it and articulate it over the course of these last 10, 15 years. Uh, but companies, the very best businesses, ha have have just known this intuitively. What's changing, of course, is the investor community coming outside, and and what's happening is that it's sort of a um, it's. It's it's sort of building on itself. I'm forgetting the the right term, but once companies begin to talk about it, investors begin to understand it. Investors begin to ask more questions, and companies talk about it more, and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Yes, yes. Now, I don't want to go into too many uh, specific details, but the recent uh, takeover attempt on Unilever seems to be an interesting case in point. Um, I don't know whether you have any general thoughts about that, but you know they've they are clearly a, a sustainability leader, um, and you know uh, I'm just wondering what you make of that. Well, I think I, I need to disclose very clearly that uh, that Unilever has been a long-term holding of of generations, and and we're big supporters of of Unilever and and Paul Pullman and its its business strategy for for a number of years. It's been quite an important. Uh, investment for our clients over these number of years, uh, but I, I might just point you to uh, some of the the quotes that the number of other investors expressed their support or demonstrating support for Unilever during the the short takeover battle that that occurred earlier this year. 
what was clear is the majority of investors believed that the the strategy of the business was the correct one, and it was, uh, and therefore people rallied around the company's response. Now I think the the discussion uh, probably uh, or the the experience probably accelerated to uh, to a little bit of a degree of what Unilever was going to do anyway. But the point I guess I'm trying to make is that most of the investors that have been invested in Unilever are long-term investors, have been with the company for a long while, and are very supportive of the strategy and the management. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. Thank you, David. Um, just take a moment. Out. Are you okay? How are you finding this? This is very good, from uh, very fluent. It's moving along very nicely from my end. Just want to make as sure. As long as it works for you, it works for me. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Now, you've, you've, you've written a lot, I know, and advocated and, and talked about sustainable capitalism. Now, I guess uh, a question to be asked here and, and uh, is, you know, is an economic model, you know, based on endless growth, I mean, is there an inherent contradiction there between your know, endless growth and sustainability? And it does seem that, you know, growth is baked into, you know, uh, capitalism, into investment. If you're not growing, uh, you know, you're not, it's not good. Well, I, I think that is among the most important and um subtle questions existing in, in finance and business uh, today, uh, particularly in a resource-constrained world, that's a fair question, is can we continue to grow in a resource-constrained world, and is growth the most important measure of economic happiness or, or success, if you will? Now, I think I'm not going to, to address the second point. There, There's going to be many others who are more articulate and done much more work on on wellness and happiness and and economic uh, systems, uh, but on the first point, I, I think what we would say is uh, it is a question. However, in the in the for for the foreseeable future, even in a low growth or no growth environment, there are growth opportunities, and those growth opportunities will be with businesses that are innovating, and are will be with businesses that are part of the sustainability revolution, businesses that are driving a more uh, long-term sustainable future, whether that be around health, whether that be around climate change, whether that be around uh, wellness, as we were talking about, or, or income inequality, there will be growth opportunities in a low-growth environment or in a resource-constrained environment addressing these constraints. Right, right. I, I'm not sure, and, and and where does that take us? <laughs> I guess it, it. I guess the the summary statement is: you can certainly have growth in a low growth environment, and sustainability helps you understand that. Right, right. So I guess this broader question of uh, this. Uh, well, I, I guess it's framed in different ways. The the, the four Earths uh, version, you know, that if 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 everyone in the world had uh, the same level of consumption as a, the American, and I, I don't think Americans top actually, I think uh, Australia and maybe Kuwait are are higher, but that we would need four Earths, you know, to su to support that level of you know uh, the, the resources that are required and so forth, um, and you know, 
economic growth um, is continuing, and it's still a you know a major policy uh you know uh driver and goal in in virtually every economy in the world and um you know and 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 finance as well um you know that interlocking dependency on growth right okay i i think i i, I understand why i i was confusing so there's let's talk about macroeconomics the uh, there's no question on a macro basis that that how we manage growth going forward in a resource-constrained world uh, and in, in incorporating all externalities uh, may result in a lower growth or most probably will result in lower what lower growth in, in the form of GDP or what people have thought about in, in the past. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that the, the important question first to ask is, is growth always good? Is GDP growth always the right way to measure uh, success in economies? And I think that the, the jury is out on that. Yes. What I was talking about, though, is on a company specific, as investors, as economic actors, you can find growth in businesses and company specifics in a no-growth environment. And you'll find growth in in businesses that are part of the sustainability revolution, addressing the first point of being uh, uh, where where growth may not be in the old sense of GDP may not be best for the planet or society. Uh, so, for example, consumerism. There's no question that consumerism needs to stop. We are we're buying too much stuff. We're throwing away too much stuff. It, it's just ridiculous. But uh, circular economies, on the other hand, and the, the mechanisms of creating circular economies could be quite an interesting solution. There's growth opportunities for investors to be part of the circular economy, as an example. Yes, yes, absolutely. And are you optimistic with uh, models like that? There's a sharing economies and also, uh, you know, various initiatives which are growing. And, and as you say, circular economies, a, a lot of momentum there. Are you optimistic? Oh gosh, yes, absolutely, yes. Uh, I think we're going through the we we're already beginning the journey. It's happening now, but it will accelerate the the what we're calling the sustainability revolution, and that, and that covers multiple dimensions ranging from uh, food and agriculture to mobility to the built environments to energy to wellness. These broader trends will be extraordinarily interesting and exciting. They will lead to innovation. It will lead to new business models. It will lead to new companies. It will lead to just really interesting public policy challenges, but interesting um, economic outcomes for for the world and for investors. So we're, we're in what I think will be the most interesting economic period in history to date. Right, right. Well, that's a strong, a strong vision, uh, David. What about B Corps? Um, to what extent uh, did, are they on your radar? You know, it's a, it's a growing movement as well and a, a broader uh, stakeholder vision of what companies are about. Uh, do you see this as having potential? And, and what about it from the, an investment perspective? Well, so Generation is a B Corp. And we have been quite supportive of B Corps over the years, and particularly here in, in the UK. And we've been investing in B Corps for, for a number of years. And so we're, 
we are interested in mission-oriented businesses. We think one of the most powerful business models in the world can be a economic-oriented company that has mission. And in fact, we think Generation is an example of that. So we're, we, we think mission and uh, holistic assessment of stakeholders is, is really very consistent with sustainable capitalism and with sustainable investing, and we're, we're strong supporters of mission. Right, great, great. Now, I was just wondering about um, the SDGs and some of these uh, major global initiatives. Um, um, Eye-popping sums of money uh, being <laughs> talked about, at least. Uh, how much of that will actually manifest in terms of, you know, trillions to be invested in infrastructure and so forth. And I'm just wondering about um, the terms in which these investments take place and so forth and just, you know, the role of finance. Um, certainly, you know, we've seen less uh, public money going into a lot of uh, uh, initiatives and calls from various, you know, global organizations, the UN and so forth, to work with private capital and so forth. Uh, I'm just wondering what your sense of the lay of the land is there. You know, to what extent will investors have the whip hand? You know, uh, there have been controversies over the rates of return and public-private partnerships in the past. Um, and I just get a sense of, you know, what you feel about that, David. Well, it's, it's actually in some ways uh, one of the reasons why we founded Generation all these many years ago is we felt that the, the global sustainability challenges that the world faced were getting more complicated, more interconnected, and more urgent. And our assessment was then and is certainly today that business, sorry, that uh, government and civil society would absolutely need to be a part of the solution but couldn't, wouldn't be the only part of the solution. Government is, is now resource constrained. Civil society has always been resource constrained. And therefore, we would need to be able to mobilize private capital to address some of these challenges. And indeed, civil society and government would require that private capital would need to be part of, of the solution to these challenges. And we strongly continue to believe that for sure. Now, uh, what that, that means is that we need to be broad in, in terms of how we think about uh, impact capital and sustainable capital, and there will be, uh, there will be certain instances where uh, private capital will be prepared to take uh, lower returns because either the risks will be different or uh, they, will, they will come from pots of money that, that are able to take lower returns. Uh, and there will be other instances where the, there will be government capital that may reduce risks in some cases to allow, to allow it to crowd in uh, private capital. So there will be a number of different tools to address these challenges. All will be familiar to us, though. That's one of the things that we've we started out and, and, and strongly believed as well, which is finance and business can be a force for good. One of the reasons why I got involved and, and helped to found Generation, one of the reasons why I got involved to help found social finance has been a strong point of view that business can be a force for good and finance must be a force for good. And so the skills that, that I've been blessed to, to develop over these 35 plus years can certainly be put to, to work to try to address these challenges. And it requires a little bit of creativity for sure, but not outside of the realms of, of, what are, of what I've worked on in the past and what a, a number of, of finance professionals have worked on over these number of years. 
You're right, right. And so you, you are reasonably optimistic then that there, there are a number of a significant number of investors will be, you know, willing to do this. That you know, live with the trade-offs. I know there's a lot of talk about impact investment, which is your know, part of this. Um, and yet, when you look closely at how you know how many of these investors really are willing to you know to take lower rates of return or trade-off for impact and so forth, not 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 so much. Well, investors who have fiduciary responsibilities to their stakeholders will have to deliver on those those duties. So I do not I do not think that investors will uh, sort of willy nilly uh, uh, pile in and, and say, "Well, the forget returns is no longer part of of what we're we're thinking about." Uh, that's not the case. But impact will be analyzed alongside of risk. And alongside of return, and if you do that, there will be a way to leverage private capital into some of the challenges that we're talking about. What is not possible is to to simply say, well, investors are going to write a, a check for free to solve all these problems. Uh, that's I don't think that's the case. I think we're going to need to use finance in a smart way where we're thinking about the combination of risk, return, and impact. Yes, yes. And I know there's, there's quite a lot of innovation going taking place in various kinds of ways, the big foundations in, in America and so yes. forth. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, watch that one unfold. Now, I want to <laughs> yeah. move, move on to the, the quite just some, some other important questions. And I know... Uh, uh, question of carbon pricing certainly is is an important one, and, and many believe I think would have a, a really dramatic effect upon pace of global, I guess decarbonisation and climate change and things like that. And, and certainly many companies are certainly some companies are already set, set setting uh, what are they called shadow prices. Uh, what what are your views uh, on the carbon tax, and do you have thoughts about you know what what kind of levels and, and does that matter? Well. Uh... We, we definitely think that putting a price on carbon globally will be a, a huge, huge uh, step forward. And when I think of sort of what are the three things that that I – if I had three wishes, if a genie gave me three wishes, I would w wish, one, that we would have a price on carbon globally, two, that we would be able to uh, significantly reduce coal fire generation in China, India, and Africa, and three, that we would stop deforestation. If we're able to do those three things, we will certainly achieve the, the goals of two degrees or less, 1.5 degrees C less in terms of temperature rises. Uh, so I, price on carbon is in some ways one of the highest priorities we've had a generation since our founding from our philanthropic or our foundation advocacy work. And we have been involved in promoting uh, research and thinking uh, around the world on putting a price on carbon and in particular we've been involved in some of the initiatives in the United States to, to uh, promote a carbon tax and we are uh, not confident that anything is going to happen there in the next 12 months or so, but I, I would be optimistic that we would have a price on carbon across the United States. We already have it in some of the states across the United States in the foreseeable future. Right. That's, that's great. What do you think of the obstacles there, David? It's still uh, political. It's still in the, in the U.S. Um, 
climate change is is a is a very much of a political issue, particularly in the Republican Party. But more and more uh, Americans recognize that we have to act on climate, and more and more Americans recognize that that particularly in a in a in a budgeting process where where the U.S. government needs to think about uh, how to raise revenues, a carbon neutral tax. Uh, or sorry, a revenue-neutral carbon tax, I think, uh, has has a lot of possibilities. And as you may remember, earlier this year, some really very thoughtful and important Republican leaders have called for a a carbon tax. And these folks are are very respected. There's again, the logic around it is quite robust, and uh, I, I'm pretty confident that over the course of the next few years that it will gain traction, particularly as the American people continue to recognize that we must act quickly on the challenges of climate change. Right, right. And now you've talked and written about many of the global challenges we're facing. I'm just wondering what what would be your biggest concern going forward if you look at the next 10, 20 years? Well, um, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to first say that, that, that we do need to uh, to truly have a sense of urgency to address all the the challenges that this sustainable development goals have identified and and I often think back that uh, the sustainable development goals are meant to be uh, resolved or accomplished by two thousand and thirty and that 's just thirteen years from now, and it turns out that generation is thirteen years old, so I look back and and say, gosh. Look at all the progress that we've talked about uh, on this discussion, in this discussion in these last 13 years. It's significant, truly significant. But we must do 10x the progress in the next 13 years probably to address these, these challenges. The one that I am most concerned about is probably climate, but I think income inequality is absolutely a close second, and maybe there are days where I think it's as important. So we need to deal with both of them. And in fact, I often tell the story when, when I met Al Gore for the first time, it was an interesting uh, insight because my, my interest was always around poverty. And, of course, Al's interest was around climate. And as we sat for the first time together, we realized it was the same issue and that the, the urgency of the issue is, is really what's become even clearer to me in these last few, few years. And so uh, I am optimistic but we've got to get moving and we've got to move in a much faster way than we have in the past. Right. Now, I don't go into the crystal ball territory here, David, but um, thinking about how change happens and you've certainly, you know, uh, clearly articulated the kinds of changes you've seen, the significant ways in which people you know, understand these issues where there's a lot more dialogue and, and, and we're starting to see some change. Um, and there are some, you know, I guess, theories of change, which you can talk about the burning ship and that, you know, until things get, you know, extremely uh, dramatic um, and painful, that change doesn't take place. And there are, you know, sometimes some of these uh, changes seem they're a bit far away in other places, hard to, you know, a bit abstract and, and things like that. Do you have uh, some kind of vision of how, 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 how change, how things could accelerate? Well, no, not in the way that, <laughs> that I think you're referring to, uh, my own uh, uh, personalized theory of, of change. Uh, but I, I do, I guess I have 
a couple of um, sort of gut feelings. Uh, the first is the the innovation and technology changes that we've seen over the last five to ten years, but increasingly in the last five years, gives me real hope that technology and innovation will help to drive the the uh, the change and the acceleration to a low carbon economy, and. Uh, and along the way, I think there will be significant innovation to address some of the, the other sustainable development goals. So we, we've already seen examples where technology and innovation is driving change in a very, very positive way. And then secondly, and I guess you could call me naive, but I do think people rise to the occasion. And right now, uh, around the world, that, that might seem as a particularly naive thing to say, but history does tend to show that in challenges, in challenging times, and we're in challenging times, people rise to the occasion, and I believe that will be the case here. And after all, I think that's one of the reasons why we're all talking about sustainability is because, not because it's it's interesting in and of itself, it's because we think that, that leaving a a proper legacy for our children, our grandchildren, those that come uh, in, in the future is just our moral obligation. And ultimately, I think people do what's right. Yes, that's a great vision, David. Uh, lurking in the background here, which we haven't talked about, is the political climate in the United States. And um, I've been surprised the number of people who I've spoken to who, who, who have remained optimistic and feel that the sustainability agenda is being driven by uh isn't dependent upon uh that that we've seen you know the, the the coalition of cities and you know the action of the states um on, on climate change and and indeed uh many believe that you know the corporations as well are, are driving uh increasingly the sustainability agenda uh, what, what impact do you think that the the political climate is having and 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 how do you see uh you know the sustainability agenda i guess unfolding uh, from in the united states at least in the next few years well, it does go back to what we were just talking about. So, um, I, the, certainly the news is oppressive these days. It's just uh, every if you want to be upset or depressed, it's you, you can certainly become so. Um, it, it just uh, just for example, today uh, the president has appointed a coal lobbyist as the number two person in the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, you know that just goes in the really bad category, but it's not inconsistent with kind of what we've been seeing over the last um, 12 months or 10 months or whatever the length of Mr. Trump's um, tenure thus far. But the point you made a minute ago is true. I think there are a very large number of people and businesses who are focused on action, are focused on making this right, and see the economic opportunities, as we've been talking about, but also the moral imperative. And I'm confident that we will, while there, this is clearly a rough patch, I'm confident we'll get through it, and I'm confident that we will uh, address these challenges. We really have no other choice. Yes, yes. What are your plans for generation over the next uh, three to five years, David? Well, we're, we're quite focused on the sense of urgency, and we... We think that we can do a better job at, at raising the sense of urgency. We clearly have to do a good job for our clients in the interim and uh, and hopefully deliver interesting investment results. But we really want to be a, a voice. In fact, we'll be launching uh, this month 
what we're calling the Sustainability Trends Report, where we'll uh, it, it'll be sort of a uh, a open source document where we we will try to track uh, what we think are some of the most important trends around sustainability or, uh, on an annual basis. We have, I don't know, I think it's something in the order of 140 different metrics that we've been, this is all public information that, that others are calculating that we're just bringing into one one document. We hope this will help uh, give people or generate enthusiasm around the progress we're making in sustainability. Um, and then we'll look for other ways to to have a voice in in accelerating the transition to a sustainable economy or the sustainability revolution. Well, I wish you the very best of success, David, with your goals, with with the work you're doing in Generation. And thank you so much for your time sharing. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful conversation. Yeah, great. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.